This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Um, I don't know about you, but at Christmas, I often find myself thinking about this disconnect between the romance of Christmas and the most wonderful time of the year and the reality, right? So the, the romance is that good old-fashioned family Christmas with Christmas cookies that, that you know, come out at just the right tenderness, the families all getting along, the, the, you give the perfect gifts to your loved ones. That's the romance. That's what we long for. And then the reality is often a bit different than that. There's frustration, some arguments, some fights in the house. There's, there's stress, and you want everybody to be happy, and that creates even more stress. And why aren't you happy? It's Christmas. I'm happy. <laughs> and there's just this disconnect between the romance and the reality. I mean, this is the stuff of so many Christmas movies. This is the McAllister family in Home Alone. This is, you know, the Griswolds in Christmas Vacation. Well, a few years ago, I was living in Boston, and it was the first week of December, you know, and so the, the whole city had kind of been transformed into Christmas land. You know, there are lights on all of the trees and, and wreaths everywhere and bows on the city buses. It was beautiful. And I was in the Boston Common, which is like the central park in Boston, and there were two gatherings happening there, two large gatherings happening that were very different from one another. So on the one hand, you had the annual lighting of the Christmas tree, you know, this big celebration. I think the mayor was there. And then on the other hand, you had this, this protest march, protesting racial injustice. And the two gatherings could not have been more different. So the tree lighting, it's, it's bathed in these bright lights. And meanwhile, the, the protest is happening out at the outer edges of the park kind of shrouded in darkness. And the tree lighting has this, this beautiful, you know, Christmas music and Mariah Carey and, and Michael Buble welcoming us into the Christmas season. And meanwhile, the, the protest has these, you know, these cries and these chants of, of anger, frustration, grief, lament. The, the tree lighting was asking us to forget all of our problems, just enter into the mystery of Christmas this most wonderful time of the year. And the protest was asking us to not turn away from our problems, to look at them and to name them, to recognize them for what they are. And the fascinating thing was that there was a wall between these two gatherings, so they couldn't mix. You could, you could be in the romantic Christmas scene or you could be in the reality, but you couldn't be in both. The romance of the season had no impact on the reality of what the city was going through, what the people in the city were going through. And I think this, this describes what Christmas is for so many of us, this tension between romance and reality. And we long to escape into the mystery of Christmas. But we come into this season with our own burdens and our own cares and the things that hold us back. And we're given these two choices. You can either escape or you can have the truth, but you can't have both. And for all of us, December 26th comes, and it's back to life as normal. And so what I want to ask is, is there a better way? Is there a better way than having to choose between romance and reality? Can you actually have both? And I think you can. 
And I think that's what we're given in this, this story that, that we just saw presented before us. So what I want to do tonight is, is to, to talk through the Christmas story, first through its realities, and then through its romance. So first, the facts. I mean, this is a story about vulnerability, displacement, and unwelcome. Mary and Joseph are far from home. They're in Bethlehem. And why are they there? Because there are powers, there are forces beyond their control. Maybe some of you feel like that tonight, that there are, there are forces beyond your control that are making your life difficult or painful. The emperor wants to do a census, presumably, so he can levy more taxes against the people. And so here Mary and Joseph are, and then the birth pangs come. And they race to look for somewhere to stay for the night, and they find nothing. And we're so familiar with this story that we lose sight of the, of the weight of it, of the desperation. A laboring woman with no place to go. And so they find themselves in a manger, in a barn. And this is the reality that the Son of God, into which the Son of God comes into the world. This is how he enters, right in the midst of the hardship of life. Now imagine for a moment that you're Mary and Joseph. You've just come through this awful ordeal, and there you are holding your child, grateful that everything is okay, and then you hear these voices coming. Is it, is it family members coming to celebrate with you in this big moment? No. Is it your friends coming? Is it the innkeeper who's sorry for turning you away? No, it's none of them. Who comes? These random guys, <laughs> right? The shepherds are a bunch of random guys from the field. Mary and Joseph do not know these people. And they're there at this big moment, this, this big moment of their lives. I mean, the, the shepherds are to me, you know, one of the most comical and ironic parts of this story. Because you've you got to understand the connotations that go with shepherds. I mean, these are forgotten people. These are, these are unseen people, invisible people. They're in the background. You know, they're people like maybe some of us tonight who work jobs that, that nobody notices, but they keep our economy going. You know, the shepherds are the taxi drivers. They're the people that stock the shelves at Target to get ready for the, you know, post-Christmas sale. They're the ones at the hospital who are there this night changing linens. Nobody knows their names. They're the, they're the forgotten ones. They're the background ones. And moreover, shepherds, they didn't have a great reputation. Like their testimony wasn't, uh, it wasn't permissible in court because they weren't known for telling the truth. And this is the situation that, that Jesus is born into. These are the people that welcome him into this world. These random guys. And here we see the mystery and the romance of Christmas. That in the midst of this difficult, and if we experienced it, awful situation, where on the face of it at least, nothing is going right, in the midst of the reality of life, God enters the world. This child is God himself. And when God reveals himself, he doesn't go to the capital. He doesn't go to downtown Chicago. He doesn't come to the western suburbs. But when God reveals himself, he goes to Big Rock. And if you've ever been to Big Rock, you know what I'm talking about. He goes to the middle of nowhere. And if you've never heard of Big Rock, then that's what I'm talking about. He goes to the middle 
of nowhere. And who does he appear to? He doesn't show up to Caesar to announce, I'm the king of the universe and I'm here. He doesn't let Governor Quirinius know. No, the rich and the powerful, they're the background to the story. The people that he lets know, the people that he announces his presence to are the background people, the forgotten people, the shepherds. And to them, the angel says, unto you, unto you, poor and forgotten and invisible, unto you is born this night a savior. And you're gonna be the messenger. You're gonna share this good news. Good news of great joy for all people. This is the mystery, the romance of this story. And it's so fitting that, that we remember this story when it's dark out. And not just because tradition holds that, that Jesus was born at midnight, but because this is a story about light breaking through the darkness in the most unexpected place, at the most unexpected time, to the most unexpected people. It's a story of grace and wonder in the midst of desperation and the frustrations of real life. And there's no dividing wall between reality and romance as there was that night in Boston. But the romance, the mystery and the wonder comes right into the reality. The thing that our hearts are longing for comes right when we need it most, right in the frustrations of our life, our Savior comes. And that is the story of Christmas. Unto you is born a Savior. Come and see. Come and behold this child on this night. And so for many of you, perhaps this is, this is precisely why you're here tonight, to remember through story and song that your Savior has come. Or perhaps you're coming tonight more as an outside observer, you know, maybe your, your family, your friends invited you to, to be here tonight, and you, you would have hesitations, so as the, whereas the shepherds, you know, run and go immediately to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened. If you were a shepherd, you'd hold back. And so I want to close tonight by talking about maybe three common hesitations that somebody might, like you might have to coming and seeing this child. And the first is this, maybe it's just skepticism, kind of fair skepticism. You understand that, that Christmas Eve, it's important to a lot of people, that this story is really meaningful to a lot of people, but it's just not for you. And you say, look, asking me to believe this is like asking me to believe in Frosty the Snowman. You know, it's a good story, but I, I just don't buy it. I can't, it's not for me. And if, if that's you, that's fair, because Christians are, are more than ready, the church is more than ready to recognize this is a miracle, this is an impossible thing that has happened in our world. And so understand the, the skepticism that you might have, that might hold you back. But I just challenge you with these two things. One, regardless of any of the miraculous elements in this story, of the angels, of the miraculous pregnancy, of the prophecies that were fulfilled, not counting any of that, one thing is undeniable, that this child, Jesus, really was born and really did grow up to become the most influential person our world has ever known. 
How did that happen? And the second thing I'd, I'd put to you is that tonight, right now, there, there are millions and billions of people doing exactly what we're doing, celebrating this child's birth. And the most impressive thing to me about that is not just the numbers, the sheer numbers, but the most impressive thing to me about that is the diversity. There is no religious idea that crosses more space and time than Christianity. There's no, more div- there's no religious idea that, is, that has such a diverse following. And we're talking north and south, east and west, crossing cultures. We're, we're talking rich and poor, educated, uneducated, black, white, brown, every skin color you can imagine. What accounts for that? This Jewish boy born in Bethlehem, what accounts for the extraordinary diversity of his followers? And I'm not saying that that proves the miraculous elements in this story, but what I'm saying is that in a divided world, it makes it compelling to me. It's compelling to me that so many different people have found meaning and purpose for their lives in the birth of this child. So come and see. Come and see the the person that so many others are celebrating tonight. Maybe something else holds you back. Maybe it's it's something like shame. You know, shame says, "I, I hear the invitation, but I don't, I don't know if they would actually want me there. You know, a friend of mine put it to me like this. She said, you know, I grew up in the church and I grew up hearing over and over and over that, that God loves me and that Jesus loves me. And she said, and I could totally believe that for other people, but I couldn't believe that for myself. And when she'd get in arguments with friends or with siblings, you know, her parents would say to her this. They'd say, maybe you've heard this before. They'd say, you know, the Christian thing to do, the Christian thing to do is is to love that person, even if you don't like them. And so she thought about that, and she said, I wonder if that's how God thinks about me. He loves me, but he doesn't like me. And if that's you, if shame is, is what keeps you back, and what, hold, what holds you back, if you've ever been someone who's looked for definitive proof of God's love, then look no further than this newborn baby boy. If you've ever looked for definitive proof, look no further than the birth of this child. Because what you see when you look at this child is not only the face of God, but what you see when you look at this child is your own dignity and the dignity of every person who has ever walked on this earth that God himself would decide to become like us in every way. There is no other measure of human dignity. This is it, God himself and human flesh. Does he love you? Yes, of course he loves you. And so the angels say, come and see. And the father says, come and see my son, my very self, because he will bear your shame. Or lastly, maybe what holds you back this evening is simply disappointment. I mean, maybe Christmas is that time of year that you feel most keenly, most strongly, the sense of what your life is missing. And so maybe it's a, maybe it's a person who's not here with you this year. 
and you remember them deeply and miss them deeply at this time. Or maybe what you think about at Christmas are the mistakes that you've made, the reputation that you've lost, the job that you've lost, the aimlessness that you feel. And you say, I, I, I couldn't come. I couldn't come and celebrate. He, he just wouldn't want me there. And you see others smiling tonight, and you say, I'm happy for them. I'm glad for them, but I'm never going to have that again. And I've made peace with that. What the angel says to you is come. Come anyway. Come with your burdens. Come with your disappointment. Come and see what so many others have seen. That in the miraculous birth of this child, that this kind of miraculous birth, it happened and it can happen again in you. As Jesus grows up, he's going to have this teaching that if anyone's going to be his follower, they need to have a miraculous birth just like this, a new birth that can only happen because of divine intervention. And when you look around in this world and when you look around tonight, you see the marks of that new birth. I mean, think of the beautiful poetry and music that we're hearing tonight. Think of art and, and paintings and sculptures that have commemorated this night. Think of justice movements and liberation for the poor that's come because of lives that were born again through the birth of this child. It is never too late for a new start. It is never too late for a second chance. You too can be born again in a way that is just as miraculous as this child. So come and see. Come and see the truth that can be true for you too. And, and, and many of you need this truth this Christmas. Many of you have, have just deep burdens on your heart, deep, deep griefs and losses. And you need to know that God himself is not aloof from all of that. But he's come right into the midst of your suffering and is offering you new life. He is making all things new. And so tonight, as we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate this good news of great joy, you don't have to think of it as an escape. You don't have to think of a dividing wall between the romance of this evening and the reality of what's happening all over our world or what's happening in your life. These things aren't separated. But in the birth of Jesus, reality and romance are wed together. The dividing wall is gone. It is one celebration. Because a Savior has come to do something about the painful realities of our world. What you experience tonight is not just beautiful music, but you experience a person. A person who challenges your unbelief. A person who, who hears your shame and then reveals your created dignity. A person who forgives all your mistakes and offers you a second chance and new life. That's who we encounter this evening. So come and see. Come and behold this child, for unto you a Savior is born. Good news of great joy for all the people. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.